Hello there. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Coffee with a Christian is an organization that believes that everyone is deeply loved by God, in spite of their shortcomings and failures, and that everyone needs the grace that was poured out through Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection, that by trusting in Jesus' work, anyone can be forgiven and renewed through God's love. Learn more by connecting with a volunteer through the app or on our website at coffeewithachristian.org. For this month's podcast, I'd like to present you with an extended conversation that I had with the folks over at the Penny Dog Podcast with my friends Lonnie and Taylor. They were kind enough to sit down with me to talk about Christian holiday traditions. Check out some of their other work at pennydog.podbean.com. And finally, before we get started, did you know that the IRS made some pretty significant changes to their deduction limits this year? Instead of the normal 50% cap, This year, the IRS changed their rules for 2020 and are now allowing you to deduct qualified contributions up to 100% of your adjusted gross income. What perfect timing. To this end, we only have $8,000 left to go on our special matching opportunity this year. So, if you have the means, please check out our donate page on the website and prayerfully consider adding this ministry to your end of year giving. Link to the IRS website and our donate page in the episode notes. With all that said, on with the show. Welcome to the Penny Dog Podcast, Episode 7, This Ain't Your Mama's Christmas, with our special guest, Ben Gu, host of Coffee with a Christian Podcast. Welcome, welcome, guys. Um, Today, we are joined with a special guest. Hey, everyone. Mr. Ben Gu. How's it going, Ben? It's going all right. Glad to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Uh, before we get started, could we just uh, get a little bit uh, about you and like um, what you're about and what you're up to? And Yeah, sure. Uh, I grew up in California and uh, moved to D.C. around 12 years ago and uh, been in IT for, uh, I'll say like 11, 12 years, something like that. Really wanted to use my gifts uh, to kind of build out God's kingdom. And so... You know, I, and I always want to make the world a better place. And so I was like, what's the best way to make the world a better place? And that is see more people come to Christ and the Lord. And uh, so I was like, okay, how can I use my IT skills to do that? So uh, we built an app. Some friends and I, we got together, started a nonprofit and made this app. And uh, what it does is it tries to crowdsource evangelism and outreach meetups. So the idea is like, you can walk up to somebody um, and you'd be like, Hey, my church and I were inviting people to go get coffee. And uh, if you download the app, uh, someone will meet you at Starbucks and buy you whatever you want. And so that's what the Coffee with a Christian app is. Um, it's just like an easy kind of way to just share your faith. And, you know, we can like advertise on Facebook and like Twitter and, and uh, you can advertise in person if you like canning out like stuff or whatever. And uh, yeah, we're trying to get connected with like some student outreach ministries and stuff like that. And it's been like a passion project of mine for like uh, about seven years. Wow. And uh, let's see. So we launched the app for the first time at the beginning of this year. And we were awarded a small grant to kind of help do that. So I started working coffee with Christian full time. You know, when you're, when you're a brand new startup, it's like one person is in charge of pretty much everything. Pretty much everything. You're wearing all the hats. So it's like, I've got to do the accounting. I've got to do the IT. I've got to do the uh, podcasting. I've got to do the partnership management. I've got to do all the policies and procedures and like just, and it, you know, 
uh, COVID-19, you know, really made mm. it easy to do outreach this year. I don't know if you're aware of that. But oh, really? Yeah, no, it's it's been a huge blessing. It's just, wow. Yeah, it's, I don't know what everybody's talking about saying COVID-19 has <laughs> is, is made the world. No, I'm just kidding. It's it's totally made things worse. Um, so. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. You're gonna have to explain this. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's, if uh, if hard wasn't hard enough, we're gonna um, need another name for this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, how would uh, people find you if they're interested to check out CoffeeWithAChristian.com or .org or on the Google Play Store or on the iTunes Store? Um, yeah. Or yeah, just look for us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Uh, for the most part, we're we're just kind of everywhere. So nice. just look for a coffee with a Christian, and hopefully Google's SEO will figure out the rest. And you two have a podcast. I will yeah. say I listened to one, which was interesting. It was a conversation with an atheist. Oh yeah, and you know, I will say I did have to do the double speed on that one. That one did go a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, if you can get a Christian and an atheist together and have a cordial conversation, that just shows there's hope in this world. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. I'm glad yeah. you liked it. Yeah. I, I like your guys' show, too. It's yeah. uh, it's fun to explore these <laughs> fun, quirky little topics. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And that's a good segue and like a little a quirky <laughs> topic of today. And we just want to give a caveat before yeah. going any farther. This is the first time we're actually trying this with uh, Taylor is actually calling in remote. So if there's going to be that weird lag or kind of just the Zoom element to things, um, sorry, but you know we're learning. Also, I want to I want to coin this now. So whoever came up with Zoom fatigue should be fired immediately. <laughs> it is zoomed out. Okay. <laughs> That's what it is. Ah, it's zoomed nice. out. That's what... <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. Nice. Hey, uh, before we move on really quick from Coffee with a Christian, I just thought I had two points to make, which is I remember, um, Ben, when you first came out with sort of your business cards for Coffee with a Christian, like your advertising cards, you had on the back of it, uh, not a dating site, hashtag not a dating site, as if some people thought <laughs> this was going to be like Christian Mingle 2.0 or something along those lines, <laughs> which I thought was fantastic when you did that. And the other thing is, uh, for some unexplainable reason to me, I don't know what it is, but Christians in the 21st century have this pretty unassailable link to coffee, which I appreciate, but I've always wondered where that came from. But I guess it's just something that's in our makeup now as religious believers that Christians and coffee go together like a horse in a carriage. And in fact, the best coffee shops, one-off coffee shops are often now Christian coffee shops, I do say, in my experience. A Waco sleeper. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. I love it. This episode is actually not about coffee no even though that could be a future one but yeah this episode is more it's going to be about christmas and essentially the history and traditions and whatnot throughout the world the whole history of christmas kind of starts on this idea of the 25th of december and i can remember the day as a child when I heard that, you know what? It might not have been the 25th of December when baby Jesus was born. <laughs> it blew my mind that, that how could this be? <laughs> this is what I've heard and this is what I've known my whole life. How could this be? <laughs> and so, how did my point is, as I 
on that respect is as a historian has always been, you, you know, the whole thing that causes Joseph and Mary to go up to Bethlehem is a census ordered by Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was a very smart, very politically savvy Roman emperor. It's how he held power for 45 years as the first Roman emperor. What smart, savvy political operative orders a tax census in December? Don't they have different seasons though in the Middle Middle East, right? So it, you know, they're they're closer to the equator, right? Um, but I did hear it might have been in July. So yeah, I don't know. Is was that their fiscal year end? I know because if you're collecting taxes, you know, you kind of want it to be when you're, when you're closing out your books, right? I, I don't know. Yeah, I know, right? It's I like, mean, but regardless, you know, Jesus was born on a day, yeah. and so let's pick something nice. Yeah. Make maybe a cold, depressing winter solstice season <laughs> to bring some cheer. <laughs> yeah. And what, so the, um, another thing that I had even realized, which blew my mind is that ev- even within, uh, I guess the tr- Christian tradition, the December 25th is not totally agreed upon. Really? Whereas the, Eastern Orthodox Church followed the Julian calendar, apparently, okay. which actually would make where they traditionally celebrate Christmas in early January. Isn't there a weird thing though with the Julian calendar where it it's odd because you've got to add a certain number of days yeah, every, yeah. every year mm-hmm. and if you yeah. don't do that you get really weird years yeah and so like it is actually a fun question that i heard about it's it's what's the shortest year do you guys know Mm-mm. i don't know either i have to look it up on, <laughs> on my phone but it was like and i think caesar caesar augustus actually or no no it was it was uh just the uh julius caesar he was in charge of adding the days onto the calendar as one of his jobs. And he, he neglected his duties um, for a long time. And so the calendar was a way off and he used this to his advantage actually later in a battle or something like that. It was, it was kind of nuts. Oh really? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. The shortest year. Well, he also added a whole nother month for himself too. When, you know, ma- making July a month of the year and then Augustus followed suit making August a month of the year, <laughs> which is why today we still have September, October, and November. That's technically the seventh, eighth and ninth month of the year. But since we added on July and August, now they're nine, 10 and 11 respectively. You know what? I always wondered that. <laughs> um, but 20, the December of 25th, it did have some other significance, right? Like within, within like, I guess the Roman tradition. Yeah. So the church originally in the fifth, fourth century, excuse me, when Christianity becomes a legal religion, you might say, or at least a religion that cannot be practiced, it takes a little bit longer to become the official religion of the Roman Empire. When that happens, they try essentially to to make the celebration of Christ's birth in March or April when it was thought to have happened. Yeah, go ahead, Ben. I see you've got a your finger raised. No, no, continue. I, I, I mean, I figured out what the shortest year was, but it took me way too long. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. No worries. No worries. So the the church tried to start you know celebrating Christ's birthday in March or April when it was probably considered to have been the more apt time, actually, when it would have happened. Of course, no one at the time wrote down what exact day, what exact month, because no one had any idea of you know how important Christ was going to be. So 
they tried that and it didn't work. They couldn't get anyone to celebrate Christ's birth on, in March or April. They realized that the population of the Roman Empire was still wedded to the old style Roman festivals, even if they were now Christians themselves. And so what they did was say, you know what, hang this, we're going to take over the old pagan Roman festivals. And that's what they did. There were two festivals at the end of December. One had a longer tradition. This is Saturnalia, which is a long Roman festival. And I believe what the church did was to co-op Saturnalia and make that the 12 days of Christmas. And then particularly on the 25th of December itself, there was a festival to Sol Invictus, the unconquered sun, a particularly important deity for later Roman emperors in the third century. And one later Roman emperor, Aurelian, had made this festival a really big part of the Roman calendar. And so the church took that particular festival, that particular day, and placed Christmas on that, and then had the 12 days of Christmas reflect the old Roman festival of Saturnalia. And that's essentially what happened. I think 349 AD is the first day or it be the first year when this is actually celebrated in this fashion, uh, and it seems to have worked. In fact, we're still doing it today, so I guess it, I guess we can say that the church was successful in this regard. For now. Yeah. yeah. Another thing, when I was looking, I, uh, I mean, I was like, I don't believe I learned any of this in school. I had no idea about this. But, um, and Taylor, maybe you might need to check me on the dates, but I, I believe it was like in the 16... 16- 40s where the the puritans kind of maybe took charge in in england and then they outlawed selling i mean celebrating of christmas and and then i guess the puritans uh followed suit to where here in america for a while uh because of the um i guess the closeness to the pagan roots or uh, celebrations that people, uh, even even here in America, the Christmas was um, not sell or kind of looked. Was it? Ban- I don't think it was banned, but I don't think it was really uh, encouraged or celebrated or whatnot. Um, I definitely over here. I think it was it was really firmly frowned against. But yeah, in in, in England, particularly during the 1640s, but especially during the 1650s, when the Puritans were in control of the government itself, Christmas was banned. It was totally uniformly banned throughout the entirety of the country. Um, And the reason was because the Puritans said, this festival is not in the Bible. Therefore, we are not going to celebrate it. They believed, and they were writing in literature written at the time, um, especially by the Pilgrim Fathers who came over to America in 1620. Before they left um, Europe, they were living in the Netherlands at this time. They actually published missives and pamphlets in England that suggested that if you were celebrating Christmas, you were worshiping Bacchus the ancient Roman god of wine. And given that James I of England was a particularly big fan of Christmas and loved celebrating it, and he already didn't like the Puritans, that was perhaps not the smartest thing they could have done, but they stuck to this policy for a long time. And so in the 1640s, but especially in the 1650s, Christmas was banned. And in fact, they would make you work on Christmas Day. So the justice of the peace, the local magistrate, would be instructed to go around to every shop on Christmas Day to make sure it was open. There's actually a standoff from 1646 in an English town, I believe, called Bury St. Edmunds, where the justices of the peace went around making sure the shops were open. And then following right behind the justices of the peace was a mob of inhabitants who said, no, they're not going to be open. They were, they were requesting every shop owner to then proceed to close their shop again after the justices of the peace had opened them. And there was a standoff that actually ended up becoming a fight, I believe, in this, in this town in 1646 about the justices of the peace trying to keep these shops open for Christmas and the inhabitants of the town saying, we are going to have Christmas Day, come what may, leave us alone. Bah humbug? 
I guess. Yeah, it sounds very, very screwed. <laughs> yeah, it like, does. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah, it does. In fact, I, I it wasn't it like um, Dickens who kind of really changed that view in one sense, um, uh, helped change that view of, you know what? You probably should let people have a day off. Have a day off. Yeah. <laughs> it's Christmas, you by know, the way. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. And um, well, one thing to consider is do we want to talk about Christmas the celebration or like Christmas the event of Christ's birth? Because there's a lot of meat in both subjects. No, I, no, I think so. Oh. I, th- oh. I mean, I think, um, I don't know if like uh, how much we want to get into like um, some of the, just the influences from essentially all over the world as far as what the modern day American Christmas mm-hmm. looks like now. But yeah, there's just been so many different influences uh, from there versus what I think the maybe early church founders uh, had maybe uh, envisioned or tried to um, instill, right? Hmm. Because I think the understanding is and was that initially, like the the birth was secondary to the uh, celebration of the resurrection. And, and I think it was only till later in the early church where there was, you know, let's, you know, to, to emphasize the actual birth uh, as well as, of course, the, um, the resurrection in, um, you know, being celebrated in, with Easter. Um, so I think that mm. is maybe why I think there's a, there's that, it was around like the fourth century, right? Where it was becoming a little bit more solidified in the church as far as um, being Chris, like what Christmas was and like what it signified as far as the, um, the birth of, uh, of Jesus. Well, I, I thought that the church had a lot of holidays. Like they, they kept adding holidays to the calendar. Like I was, I was watching, I don't know how, how accurate this is, but uh, Terry Gillum from um, uh, Monty Python, hmm. he has this historical series uh, that he did on the life of Brian. No, 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 it was, it was actually it was, <laughs> joking. It was excellent though. <laughs> um, where he went through like what it was like to be a uh, medieval serf, like the or a peasant, right? Like which is oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I know this series. Yeah, yeah. What yeah, was shocking? Big fan me, of the series. What was shocking to me is they get more time off and freedom than like most people do like there were 80 church holidays where they just got to do what they wanted and then they only had to work for their masters 60 days a year and then the rest of the year was like they could do whatever they wanted and also like the uh like their uh their regent had to throw them a feast at least three times a year Mm. so you're like wait a minute my boss only gives us a pizza party (laughs) like once a year what's up Do I have it worse than a medieval peasant? I want to do over. That's not fair. <laughs> um, as as a medieval historian, I will say no, 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 you don't whatsoever because the labor was absolutely backbreaking. There was no penicillin, um, no Doritos. Where you could have an army come through and, and destroy your crops. No nacho cheese flavor. Uh, so n- we have it much better than medieval peasants. Definitely, they might have had more leisure time. And maybe their work schedule is not as bad as ours. But then again, we live in we live in the great republic of the United States, and we live to work, don't you know? So that's just who we are. All right, all right. I'll take your word 
for it. <laughs> it doesn't help matters when you have a startup either, right? Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I read this really one interesting stat, and that is uh, that the average child today has like over 400,000% more access to extreme nacho cheese flavor than even the mightiest regent just a thousand years ago. You know what? That checks out. Yeah. I think that I think that checks out. I don't know. I, I will need some sourcing on that one, but you know, <laughs> I think that checks out. <laughs> you know, I actually was just reading I just saw something recently of like how we we just don't even realize just how I guess wealthy we are. Where just the royalty of I mean, a thousand years ago, couldn't even imagine Refrigera- you know? <laughs> refrigeration. <laughs> refrigeration. <laughs> like, the, the things that we just take for granted. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> or like, you mean you could have like meat every meal if you wanted to? I mean, <laughs> and it's not just covered in salt the entire time. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, and, and, and I think that's, I mean, I know that's one of the things that people maybe worry about for Christmas as far as the, maybe commercialization of it mm-hmm. and how how that actually you know plays into it and maybe has overtaken i think essentially what you know christmas was viewed as in the past but yeah it, it, i mean i think i don't know if this is right but i actually believe one of the like h- how the whole like you know santa claus like look in america kind of really came about hmm. was uh in part thanks to a ad campaign of coca-cola yeah i think back in the 30s before that it was just a regular hat yeah it wasn't a santa hat and it was like different colors like you could be you could see him like green or, or red but apparently like in the ad campaign they made is the color of 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 santa's <laughs> of, of uh santa claus's like color to really match the the, the red of coca-cola mm-hmm. and that kind of really just stuck is uh this is what this is what we're going with. Otherwise, uh, it would have been Pepsi Blue, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. And I think maybe that could almost be like one of the the starts of the commercialization. I think of. But you know the 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 red and the white though they do have some symbology, and I think this is actually built into the candy cane, which is one of the earlier um, Christmas, I'll say, confectionaries, um, and it was red to uh, to represent the blood he shed and the white was to represent you know the being washed clean from from sin oh really i think so i think so and then the the idea that they shaped it into a cane was to represent him as the good shepherd oh wow yeah that's interesting yeah yeah i mean it's so funny like when i was looking at some of this uh stuff i would I would see one thing and then see another that seemed to contradict the other. <laughs> but they said it with so much conviction and <laughs> assurance that it kind of left me wondering. Because <laughs> like one of the ones I, I, I saw a bit too is just about like where the, the red and green comes from. And the idea was the holly bush, which had a similar kind of meaning to what you were saying where um the red i think represented um like you know the blood and then the green was uh i guess the sharp bits of the ho- the holly 
was to represent like the crown of thorns mm. or whatnot. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure if, uh, and apparently Holly was uh, already considered um, a a plant that was used in other like festivities, like Norse type festivities and whatnot. Yeah, I know mistletoe mm-hmm. comes from North yeah. Norse mythology. Yeah, where the they mistletoe were, too. Yes, but they, I think it was used to kill Balder or something like that. One of the one of those Norse gods. Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, like, what is it? Is Loki, uh, con- like, did some type of, con- I think they used like uh, used the mistletoe somehow to uh, trick trick them. To- no, no. So they 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 uh, there was so Balder was like this favorite son of this god, and uh, his mother convinced all the plants and everything in the world to not hurt him ever, no matter what except for she didn't bother to say anything to mistletoe because it was so harmless. And then, so every year her family would get together and they'd play a game where they'd throw a bunch of stuff at him to try and hurt him, but everything would refuse to hit him. So it would just like bounce off harmlessly or something like that until Loki made a staff or something out of mistletoe. And so they threw it really hard at him and it killed him. Yeah. So it was like, it was like Loki did it, but it wasn't Loki that did it. It was somebody else that threw something at him. Yeah, they were playing a stupid game. Huh. <laughs> yeah, the mistletoe, the mistletoe. Yeah. That was that's yet another. Although, yeah, I don't know how accurate that is. You, you'd have to. It it killed a god, and and now we give each other kisses under it. Yeah. How the mighty have fallen, and that has nothing to do with Jesus whatsoever, <laughs> no, or Christmas. It it's just the thing we do. <laughs> it does reasons. Well, it's a, it's. A, it's the same thing with the Yule Log. The Yule Log also comes from Norse religion, Norse mythology. It has nothing to do with the Christian past in many respects. No, I, exactly. Um, the Christmas tree too, right? I mean, it initially came from what? With Germany? Um, and then it was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it did originally come from Germany, but it, once again, that has a very pagan root to it as well. Those trees, the coniferous trees, uh, which have my last name attached to them, I never, I've, and I've never seen a royalty check from at Christmas time, which I'm very upset about still to this day. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, they were originally pagan trees. They were the pagan religion of, of ancient Germany, as far as we know anything about that religion, because of course everything's written by the Romans. So, what do the Romans really know about German religion? I digress. They were apparently danced around these trees, and they were a significant part of their religion. And then a, a guy by the name of Martin Luther. I don't know if you guys know about this guy. Very interesting cat. Did some cool stuff, I suppose you could say, in the early 16th century. But apparently Martin Luther had this great idea one year that he was going to cut down one of these trees and bring it into his church and decorate it. And therefore, we now have our tradition of Christmas trees every year because of Martin Luther doing that. And I was telling Lonnie earlier when we were talking about this story that when I first heard that it was Martin Luther um, who who uh, brought, brought the Christmas tree as part of the Christmas celebration, and I was about six or seven when I first heard this story, I said to myself, are you telling me that Christmas trees have only been around since the 1960s? <sighs> I got the two Martin Luthers completely crossed and confused <laughs> yeah. in my head. I thought the civil rights leader was the guy who was responsible for the Christmas tree as well as, you know, civil rights in the 1960s. But uh, no, 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 no. It was uh, Martin Luther of the German Martin Luther, of the early 16th century. But apparently the tradition for the Christmas tree in, in a Christian sense dates to him. But that was very late in the day. Christ, uh, Christmas had already been a holiday for the last 1150 years. And the Roman and the Roman Catholics adopted that, too. I I, I I'm surprised they condone Christmas trees within the Catholic Church. That's 
Was it was it um to 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 bring it to England? Uh, was it I think when Victoria and Albert married that it became a little bit more mainstream uh, accepted in in England because he you know him him being from uh Germany um where that was a little bit more of a tradition kind of brought that mm-hmm. I don't I so I don't subscribe to the great man theory of history so I think what it was is like the the Roman Catholic Church lost enough power where it wasn't you know they they have they have other bigger fish to fry right Let, yeah. let's not fight about mm-hmm. the, the uh the the christmas trees anymore right yeah. we can we let's just let it or the yule logs we'll let mm-hmm. it slide we've got <laughs> we've got kings seizing <laughs> our property maybe we can find something else to worry about well, uh, you 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 walked into the wrong podcast bin because I definitely do believe in the great man theory of history. Oh no! Uh, so let's get interesting. Uh, right, right. What, what, there was you go. Christ, what was Christ if nothing not a great man? I mean, I'm just saying a great man who also happened to be God. But man I, you know, I digress. God. Yeah, so um, I think what Lonnie's getting at is is very true. Is that mm. it was due to Albert and the influences that he was bringing over from Germany that Christmas became incredibly popular in England and therefore also ended up becoming incredibly popular in America. I mean, the first Christmas card was not until 1843, the same year The Christmas Carol came out. Um, and Albert married Victoria, I think, in 1842, uh, if, if I'm correct. So it was very, very fast, but it, it happened all of a sudden. I mean, if, if you're German or of German ancestry, Christmas has always been incredibly important to you. I, my father is, Ger- is of German ancestry, therefore I am. And Christmas is always the biggest festival in our house. And I think that has something to do with the fact that, uh, for some reason, Germany has always taken Christmas very, very seriously. Yeah. Cool. Hmm. And and that you said that started in the uh, what, fifteenth century, sixteenth century. Uh, the Christmas tree was in the sixteenth century, and then uh, the the sort of emergence of Christmas as a major secular as well as a religious festival. So now it's infecting everything, or not infecting is the wrong word. It's uh, it's encompassing everything, and in, in terms of the entire month of December, really starts I think in England in the nineteenth century. Um, with the advent of the Christmas Carol, with the advent of uh, Christmas cards, other celebrations like that, is really when it gets off the ground as a major commercial as well as religious festival. Hmm. I think, at least, I don't know. I'm not an expert. Yeah, because of course, like you know, when growing up, you kind of just think that Christmas always was like this, <laughs> you hmm. know. <laughs> that, <laughs> but at some point, I don't. I don't think, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong here. I don't know if the they were singing about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer the four, in, the, in the fourth century. You know, no, <laughs> no but I'd say that like so much of your life revolved around the church in Europe, or actually not just Europe, but like around the world, like where, wherever wherever you were, that was kind of like the community center, right, where people got together once a week at least, and you know. Um, yeah, and it was it was kind of like a center of authority, and you know, I I I also think that people don't understand how much time people spent at church in those days too, where it was typical for people to go to church for hours on end on Sundays, and um, you know, and and uh, spend time together with their neighbors, and it's kind of like, and it was a much much smaller community where kind of every maybe everybody didn't know everybody, but you know, if everybody didn't know everybody, they knew someone who 
did know everybody or or something like that where um you you weren't like more than you know two or three degrees of separation away from um just about everybody in your own in your city something like that so and they knew if you didn't show up at yeah. mass that day to either yeah. right yeah. <laughs> it's not like oh i'm gonna go well i didn't go to the church this week but because i was at the other church yeah. and they'd be like no you weren't there either. <laughs> you know like <laughs> <laughs> yeah um it was uh i think it was the the little poem of like um Oh gosh, what is it even called? It's like, you know, Twas the Night Before Christmas. Oh. You know that poem? Mm-hmm. Apparently it was penned by a uh, minister. And he wrote this poem. I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, he wrote this poem for his kids. And, and the interesting thing about it was it really didn't have any mention at all about like you know the the celebration of christmas it's like you know christ's birth Mm. but it was just a little fun thing he did for his for his children and it ended up essentially going viral as much as something could go viral at that point and he initially had not really even shown wanted to reveal that it was him who wrote it because you know uh like he's like a a uh protestant minister and it was still kind of at that point um christmas i think was a little bit more like uh at that point and he you know eventually like said you know admitted his name as the author but um like even like even something like that uh i i i like has just been yet one of the other things of christmas that uh we now all come to love and, and go and i think that's how it's just interesting how some of these uh tradition traditions have like uh come come up yeah. with um you know just in the times we haven't even talked about the religious origins of santa claus yet that is true or the krampus yeah yeah okay, in fact so i think ben that. you were telling so, me. santa claus saint nicholas where did that come from yeah so where did, where did that come from? So I'm, I'm not a historian, I'm not even an amateur historian at that. <laughs> um, but from what I know about it is he was a, a Christian father and um, he was at one of the councils and he was debating with somebody named uh, Arius. Um, and uh, this Arius guy was a heretic and um, St. Nicholas was having none of it. And so he... Uh, they got into a fight, and he definitely beat that guy up uh, for saying that that Jesus was only a man and not God, and um, and that's not what he's. Uh, that's one of the things he's known for. But the I would say the main thing that he's known for was, um, I would say, putting gold either down the chimney or in the socks stockings of people, stockings of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe it started out with, uh, there was a, a farmer who had three daughters and he wanted to, them to marry into nobility, but they couldn't afford the, um, what was it? The dowry, dowry yeah. that they had to pay. And so he, uh, used, uh, funds that he had to, to pay those, um, dowries for them. Uh, but he didn't do it, uh, to the, I mean, he did it in secret. Right. And so he, I think he. He provided the money, 
um, uh, just kind of, and, and also keep in mind chimneys back then in little tiny like mud huts, not that high off the ground. Weren't really a thing. No, you, you don't, you don't have to climb. You don't need flying reindeer to get up there. You can just kind of stand on your tippy toes and, and drop a few coins in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like heresy to me. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe St. Nick will come, come out and punch me in the face too. <laughs> but that's the, I mean, yeah, I, I hope to teach my, my kids about that. Uh, in that Christmas tradition and uh, encourage them to give to people in need um, around this, this season. Um, Cause I, I think that's, that's more in line with Christ's character from the, uh, the, the Christmas story, right. Is uh, coming to people in need and providing for them. And, you know, what is everybody's greatest need is to, to know the Lord. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think uh, the story of St. Nicholas is very evocative of that in so many respects. And I think that's always why, you know, I'm thinking about Christmas Carol, because it's my favorite Christmas story, secular Christmas story. And it's my favorite, you know, secular Christmas movie, which is the George C. Scott 1984 one. And I remember the great speech that Fred oh, Hollowell, I love the, I love the Muppet one. Very, oh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, Sorry, I, I, I missed it. What did you say? You. My, my favorite, I, so I... Every year, actually, my wife and I, we have a tradition where we watch The Muppet Christmas Carol, which is by far the best <laughs> ah. version ever. It's on Disney Plus if you don't have it, but I watch that every year at least once around Christmas time. <laughs> far, far be it from me to slag off either Kermit the Frog or Michael Caine, but I'm sorry. George C. Scott was, was born to play Scrooge. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what I also didn't realize? I kind of just thought everybody knew about The Christmas Carol. And you know, it's a little bit more of a Western thing. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. it was written in English. So. Yeah, it is true. So yeah. apparently it didn't make it down to Brazil. So oh. I had to educate and just say, hey, listen, uh, apparently Brazilians don't really know about the Christmas Carol. I don't know if that's totally 100% true, but like just showing the story, like it was like, what? I had no idea. But yeah, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> Sometimes what you I mean that that's that is very interesting because it's always rated as the number one secular Christmas story that everyone knows about. Even above like movies like Elf and The Grinch and stuff like that. The Christmas Carol is always number one. Um, but maybe that's just because we're taking polls amongst English speaking people. I yeah. don't know. Maybe we should talk to more um Portuguese speaking, Spanish speaking, French speaking, Chinese speaking, whoever's speaking, and see what the what the greatest Christmas story in their language is. But I digress. Uh back when Fred Hollywell at the very beginning of the movie says Christmas is always the time where people are seem to be more giving. They open up their their closed hearts to the creatures around them, I think is what he says. And I think that goes back to your point, Ben, of you know Christ himself coming to those in need. And the reason for the season is always evocative to us as Christians to make sure that in this time, especially, we should be giving all year round. But in this time this of the year, we, are, we are, should be constantly reminding ourselves to give to those who are less fortunate um, and to, to make sure that we live out the Christian life, not only in how we celebrate this season, but in how what will we do for others during this season, I suppose you could say. Absolutely. I think sometimes it does get lost, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I remember uh, just as background, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but um, I, my, I grew up where my, my dad's a, a minister. And so, you know, he would really want to make it clear in our family of like, you know, where, where Christmas came from and like what, 
you know, the celebration is really about. And I'll have to say, as a young child, it felt a little bit along the order of cruelty, where Christmas morning, before we'd be able to open any present, we first would have to um, sit down in a very calm, collected manner as my dad would read through the Christmas story. (laughs) Great. You know, it sounds like great, like in in theory, but as like a seven-year-old child, it was a little bit of a torture. (laughs) 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 Just, just, uh, just, just some feedback as, uh, uh, for for the future fathers among us, right? well, I'll try to make sure they, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was good. You know, I mean, I actually feel like you know what? Maybe around dinner or or afterwards, yeah, you know yeah. what? Can we go through there? You don't have to <laughs> do it right before presents. <laughs> and in fairness, it wasn't. That's why that we way. did it on Christmas Eve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we did it on <laughs> Christmas Eve for that very reason, so we could get to the presents on Christmas Day. That's what that's what uh, Christmas Mass is for. So you can do that. Yeah. Get that. Get that out of mm-hmm. the way. You know? I mean, get that. That's the best part, and then you can open your presents. The yeah, morning right away. No, exactly right. No. No. Interestingly enough, uh, this is a great place to make this comment that only one gospel has the nativity story. I was re- I was reflecting on that the other day. My Bible study is reading the Gospel of Luke for that very reason, but that's really the only one that has the full intense narrative hmm. of the of the nativity story, which I've always found very interesting. So it's only one gospel. Yeah, we would be reading. It was always reading from Luke. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I've always wondered about that. Is it's like, when was John the Baptist born? Because they couldn't have been nine months apart in terms of birth. And if they were going back to Bethlehem for like a survey, did they go with them, or was that like, I don't know. Never mind. Never mind. No, it's true. I mean, there's a lot that is still not known. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because it just wasn't documented, like even down to the exact dates, or so you're kind of left to um, try to read. Behind the lines or in between the lines. And-, and also, I mean, like, I know we say like they were, there weren't exact dates, but I mean, our modern calendar didn't, is, didn't exist for like forever. Right. It's right. like, yeah, it's, it's zero AD, but that's not how they counted yeah. things back then. Or they think it was like four AD actually by their own reckoning. So it's like, okay, so how does, how does that, and, and they were using a different calendar yeah. system. Competing systems. Right? And so yeah. you're like. Okay, yeah, there isn't going to be an exact date. I mean, I think most of the time when they were dating things, it was like, you know, five years into the rule of this king or something like that, or you know, five years, three days into the rule of this king or whatever. Um, and so you're like, okay, like that's quite arbitrary because I, I guess, I don't know, whatever. But yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, I don't know what, I know that I'm, some people get hung up on that kind of stuff, but then they just kind of need to do history and realize it's like, oh, like we made, calendars so yeah (laughs) all the dates are made up technically Mm -hmm. very much so yeah definitely speaking yeah Yeah, and i think we have to reflect upon who jesus was and where he came from in society not necessarily you know who he was we know who he was he's the son of god redeemer of the world son of man but who he was for the people at the time in terms of his earthly upbringing he was basically a nobody i'm sorry to say Mm. it but you know that that's who he was he was the son of a carpenter or at least appeared to be at least the son of a carpenter and the son of the car- that carpenter's wife from a from a no name town called Nazareth, and so why would we expect that a person like that's birth would have been recorded? Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, they they didn't even have you know space for them. I think when they say uh, manger, you know, I've I've um, I was doing some, I think I was watching some documentary on it, and they were just saying like, yeah, if if you're picturing like a barn, that's not what they meant by manger. They, they typically would use old caves as as a place to to store your sheep and your your animals. And, you know, you don't clean those things out a lot. So they, they, it's going to smell like, you know, cow poop. And mm. it's probably a cave and it's not going to be super well lit. And, you know, anytime cave is your address, <laughs> you're not having a good time. Let me tell you. <laughs> no, I get I get that for sure, right? <laughs> no, I mean, it's funny because um, have any of you gone to Israel? Yeah, I've been once. Have you? Did you go to the supposed uh, location where they believe? No, way. was the birth? No, of I mean, Christ? we drove yeah. past yeah. it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So no, you went there, and of course, like, um, it's literally almost like a little hole in the ground where they actually believe them. And I don't know how they came came yeah. about that, um, but no, yeah. it was interesting, and it definitely isn't depicted as a major, but major, but it is more. A little bit more along that lines of, like you said, more of a cave. Um, I forget the name of the church or whatever. Mm-hmm. I feel like manger is kind of like a dressed up way to say. I mean, like I, I picture a barn when you say manger, mm. but when you say like hole in the ground or you know, you know, dirty cave, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, I know what a dirty cave looks like. It just doesn't work well for the nativity scenes, right? You know, like they can, people can't. Like, can, barns play a little bit better than. Well, it's, it's also easier to assemble a barn than it is to to do a macrame cave or paper mache. Like, uh, yes. Um, by the way, just to uh, I couldn't remember the name of the the person who who wrote that the twelfth the night before Christmas, Clement Clark Moore. Just for uh, for the reference, that's who it was. Mm. Um, but anyways, yeah, I mean, mm. even with everything that we have with Christmas, I think there is this the sense where I think it's just uh, almost almost designed in a way in this of to have just just being a part of a traditions, right? And I think even. Um, Regardless of how you celebrate Christmas, I think everyone like builds up their own traditions. And I'm just curious, like, uh, did 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 any of you do you, did you uh, any of you guys have you know actual like you know maybe more family traditions or whatnot um, for Christmas? Um, we have. Uh, one that we still practice today. Um, I grew up um, in a house where Christmas was the celebration of the year. And so we used to go all out uh, every, every year decorating the house, decorating both the inside and the outside of the house. Uh, my father, his nickname was Clark Griswold, if you guys get the reference, <laughs> uh, because of how, it, how involved he was in decorating the house for Christmas. So, um, but the other thing that we did and that we still do today is every year we have um, what's called pickles on the tree. This is a German tradition. And what happens is we, my, my mother places three pickles on the tree. 
and he, she hides them very well. And what happens is when you go to the tree, you're supposed to find the pickle that pertains to you. So, for example, I'm the eldest of the three children, so I have to find the largest pickle because I'm the eldest. If I find the smaller one, I have to pass it over and find the one that's meant for me. And once you find it, you are allowed to open a present on Christmas Eve. Oh, wow. Wow. So that's a tradition that we still do every year on Christmas Eve. Um, We don't decorate the house as much as we do anymore because that took a lot of energy and time, and we don't necessarily have that anymore, unfortunately. Uh, But we still do that every year. So that's a a big Christmas tradition for us. Is there any symbology behind the pickle? I've heard of other people doing the pickle thing, too. But, like, is there any deeper meaning to it? Or do you think they used to use an actual pickle? Or, I mean, like, what's going on with the pickle? I think the pickle is actually used to be a gift that a lot of children would receive in some places for Christmas. It was considered a treat. I think this this is a story I've heard as a legend. I'm I'm not sure about the accuracy, but that it was a gift that children actually looked forward to because children didn't used to get these wonderful presents. I mean, there was no PlayStation Five to give children as a Christmas (laughs) present back in circa 1600. They were happy with you know candy and treats like pickles, and so I think that's where we come from. We of course don't use real pickles. We have ornaments that are specifically made for this purpose. Uh, but I, I think that's where it comes from, the idea of the pickle as a treat that children will be looking forward to. I, I, so. I, I just have to say that we are at such an advanced place in our society right now that you know, pickles are not considered a treat anymore. I mean, like, I'm thinking to myself, like, why, why not just like a little bag of Doritos or you know, something like that? <laughs> like, at least. <laughs> I feel like after this podcast, I think we need to just open up a bag of Doritos. You've been like dropping the hints like several times. I need some extreme nacho <laughs> cheese flavor, man. Like, I'm, I'm craving it. <laughs> is that what it does? The Doritos, a Christmas tradition? I'll probably go to bed Doritos, Doritos tacos <laughs> for my way back. I got a bit of a drive tonight. What about oh, you, Lonnie? You have any Christmas traditions? Well, uh, I did tell you about our reading of mm-hmm. of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, the <laughs> not the entire gospel, of course. Um you know, we didn't have some of the traditions that others had. I know some that would open be able to open choose a gift to open on Christmas Eve or whatnot. Um I think the thing that we definitely typically try to do was it was in a sense of just the unity of family were typically after Thanksgiving was the indication to it's time to get the tree out. Hmm. Yeah. So it was always essentially a family affair to get the tree out and like have everybody, um, you know, decorated, like constructed. Cause one of the things we never did get to do, and I only just did this as a grown up, was actually have a live tree. So we always had one of those, um, those like, faux trees that you kind of had to construct or whatnot oh yeah um i will say i I actually did like i do like the live tree almost a little bit better to be honest but so that's what we did uh typically so that was a thing and it was always about the family thing and then somebody you know as a kid you we got to take turns of who who gets to put the angel on the top that type of a thing so yeah that was that was kind of a cool thing so the christmas tree meant like some good quality i think family time i think so right. i think that was uh um one of the bits for us but what about you ben anything you know i i'd say for for my family it was always the um it was always the food mm. so you you knew that it was christmas when we were having teriyaki steak whoa yeah that was that was like teriyaki steak it's fantastic you make it with flank steak and you marinate the 
the beef overnight and it's um sprinkle some doritos on top or no no no, 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 no. that's that's seriously that's in a bowl next to it but that's not actually on the teriyaki but um makes arius look like an observant christian (laughs) i'd say the the other thing would be just really family getting together so uh my my dad had seven brothers and sisters and they all lived I mean, some lived like four or five hours away, so it was a little bit of a hike for some of them. But for the most part, you know, they'd, they'd all we'd all get together somewhere and uh, celebrate Christmas together. Um, living out on the East Coast now, uh, I've got two sisters and they've got families. And uh, my sister is my youngest sister. Uh, she has a one on the way, and my parents are nearby, so. Um, at COVID-19 is, is a little disappointing this year just because we're not able to actually get together. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, other than that, I'd say, mm, oh, the Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, we always yeah. watch that because yeah. Kermit the Frog is awesome. And so is so Rizzo the Rat is, is just perfect. <laughs> I was so used to watch um, essentially the Christmas story. That was another thing. Actually, it wasn't a family mm. tradition. It was mm. more of... My brother was the big one, adamant, who wanted to just see it. Did he ever get a BB gun? Or we did actually. We did get a BB gun. They never let me have a BB gun. And you know what? Got in trouble with that BB gun. Maybe that's a whole story for a different podcast. But (laughs) he didn't quite shoot his eye out. But he he almost shot someone else's. (laughs) Not even messing around. It was your eye, wasn't it, Lonnie? It was yours. <laughs> not even. Not even. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think this was uh this was fun. I regardless, yeah. even in this time of COVID, I hope we can really, you know, at least be able to maybe embrace some of the traditions, but also not forget what the the meaning and where the true the true source of of Christmas is and um you know I guess to be able to just survive in 2020 right <laughs> yeah you know in, in traditions at some point you know people have to make them yeah. right so mm-hmm. you know maybe we can find a way in our digital age to make a a god honoring tradition or a or a christmas honoring tradition no it's true yeah. i think that's a a good perspective to uh uh, end out on but before we go i wanted to say one more time repeat like uh how can people get a hold of you ben if they wanted to reach out or follow yeah. your things uh check out our website or our mobile app coffee with a christian on uh android or iphone and uh you can connect with uh yeah just a friendly christian volunteer we're not here to judge or um anything like that we just want to get to know you uh, buy you a cup of coffee at Starbucks, whatever you want, um, and we'll meet you where you're at. That's it. Sounds good. Any anything? Any signing out wisdom, uh, Taylor? <laughs> um, I just would agree with Ben and agree with you, Lonnie. Uh, let's celebrate the season as best we can in the digital age, but let us not forget what the season is all about, and let us be reminded by the reason for the season of what we as Christians should be doing in our lives during this time. 
So I suppose without further ado, this has been the Penny Dog Podcast, Episode 7, Not Your Mama's Christmas, with our special guest, uh, Ben Gu, host of the Coffee with a Christian podcast, and with your normal hosts, Lonnie Gomes and Taylor Conifer. And until next time, guys, see you later. Wow, that was a lot of fun. Also, a brief correction. I meant to ask, what is the longest year in human history? And this occurred in 45 BC, when Julius Caesar added 90 leap days to the calendar for a total of 455 days. Anyway, thanks for joining me today in this little social experiment. To continue the conversation, check out our app and connect with one of our volunteers, or invite someone in your circle of friends to have a God-centered discussion. And subscribe to the podcast, which should continue rolling out episodes each month. And finally, just in case you missed it at the top of the show, please consider supporting this ministry financially. The podcast, the mobile app, the online and in-person outreach. We do these things for free, but they do cost money. So prayerfully consider adding this ministry to your end of year giving. As a bonus, Coffee with a Christian is a registered 501c3, so all donations are tax deductible. Thanks again for checking this out. May God bless you and Christ be praised.